All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask that you would bless our time in the word. Lord, this is different, but I pray that you would bless it. We are bound in time and space to one location, but you are everywhere. You are infinite. And you've promised that your word will not return void. I just ask that you'd bless this message. Pray that you would bless your church. And I pray that you would strengthen our faith through your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So these are confusing times. And I want to give you what I hope is not a confusing message from John's gospel, John chapter 9. In John's gospel, Jesus is shown to be the Messiah. He is shown to be the Son of God, equal in deity to the Father. He is shown to be the Savior of the world. He is proclaimed to be the Savior of the world again and again. And in John chapter 9, he does something that confuses absolutely everyone. And I believe in the things that he does and the things that he says... God will speak to our confusion now. So I want to go through it just verse by verse, say a couple of words that I hope will strengthen our faith. And to begin with, I want to talk about the confused disciples. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open to John chapter 9. We're just going to read the first seven verses. Scripture says, as he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not this man who sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now there's just a couple things that I want to talk about briefly from this passage. To begin with, Jesus' disciples are confused over what causes this man's blindness. And you could say a a large portion of Scripture deals with this topic. I just finished reading the book of Job for the second time a, a few weeks ago. I read it at the end of December and then again in January. And Job is a book that wrestles deeply with the question of why Do good people experience terrible things? And to be honest, it doesn't completely answer the question. What Job does is it encourages you and I to live humbly before God and to trust his goodness even when he does not seem to be good. To know that when terrible things are happening, God is still in control and we can trust him even if we can't make sense of what's happening around us. The normal temptation for many people when they see something terrible is to say, this happens as a result of sin. And that is a biblical possibility. We see in many places in Scripture that God does chasten 
or even judge people who live in rebellion. And yet it's wrong to assume that at every tragedy, at every crisis, that God is punishing us for our sin. But it is a possibility. And I think the healthy response is not to point at someone else and say, your sin has caused this crisis, but to humbly come before God and and in the words of the psalmist to say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. And in that humble asking, to ask God to lead us to a place of repentance. You might say, where is that in the text? Where is that in John's gospel? Well, in this particular instance, Jesus says so clearly, and this is what I really want to focus on, it was not this man's sin. And so I want to stress the fact that Jesus clearly shows that not everything bad that happens happens because of sin. But earlier in John's gospel, John chapter 5, you can turn there if you want to. John chapter 5, he's in a very similar circumstance. He's not healing a blind man. Instead, he heals a man who is lame. And he says to him, take up your bed and walk. It's an incredible miracle. This man had been lame, the scripture says, for 38 years. So it was well known that he was crippled. Jesus heals him. And in verse 14, it says, afterwards, Jesus found this man in the temple. And he said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. And Jesus strongly implies that his suffering was actually a consequence of his sin. But you and I can't know that. In fact, as we deal with confusing things, as we look at a global pandemic, or or really any tragedy that you might experience, I believe the scripture teaches that it's always an occasion for us to turn inward and ask God to examine our hearts. I'll give you another scripture passage where Jesus deals with this question. He says in Luke 13, when he's asked about a horrible tragedy. Do you think that these people were worse sinners than anyone else? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And Jesus' teaching is that you and I ought to live humbly before God, seeking the forgiveness of sins that comes through Jesus Christ. John's gospel describes Jesus as the light of the world, and the light exposes darkness. And it doesn't just expose it in other people, it exposes it in me, and it exposes it in you. So the thing to do when tragedy strikes is to ask God to examine us and to ask God to forgive us for our own sins and to pray not only for ourselves but on behalf of our entire nation and say, God, Let us be humble before you. Let us turn from our wicked ways and seek your face and seek your healing. I'm not saying that's why this is happening. I can't say that because I don't know. But I will say that I believe it's good and right for us to quietly pray, especially about our own sins and about the sins that we know about, and to just ask God to forgive us and to heal us and to bless us. In this particular passage, though, Jesus says something that's really stunning, and I want us to pause and think about it for a second. He says that this man was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And we sometimes read the scriptures and forget the backstory 
that this man lived his entire life. Later in this chapter, it's going to describe him as an adult. So, so we don't know exactly how old that made him. In Jewish society, you were considered an adult at about 13. But it seems like he's probably older than that. So you might think maybe 20, maybe 30 years old. He had lived his entire life suffering as a blind man. And imagine, it says he was born blind. Imagine being his mother or his father and finding out that their little baby that they had anticipated with joy for nine months would never be able to work. He would never be able to provide for himself. He would have to live a life of a beggar if he were going to survive at all. And imagine the heartbreak that they had as they raised him. And imagine the suffering that he had as he learned how to navigate this world in the dark. And then, miraculously, this man who had lived his entire life in the dark meets the light of the world. And Jesus heals him. And we don't know for sure, but the way that it describes this miracle, there are two things that I believe Jesus wanted to do. Number one, he wanted us to recognize that the God that made this man's eyes was remaking them. You might ask, well, how do you know that? Well, look at the text. Look at how Jesus does this miracle. It says he spits in the dirt, and as he touches the dirt, he dabs a little bit up on his finger, and he puts it on this man's eyes. And at first thought, you might think, that's disgusting. Why is Jesus doing that? Well, I believe the answer is because we're to remember in the book of Genesis when it describes how God makes man out of the dust of the ground and breathes life in him. And Jesus is showing that he is the same one who out of dust formed man, and he is out of dust healing this man. And so I believe we are to understand who exactly Jesus is. But not only that, Jesus deliberately works this miracle in such a way to cause greater confusion in the people around them, so that in their confusion, they will ask and answer the question, who is this miracle worker? So look at the next point. We've begun with confused disciples who are wrestling with the question of why do these terrible things happen. Then notice the confusion that this caused in the community and pick it up with me in verse chapter, excuse me, in verse 8. Scripture says, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he, and others said, no, but he is like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. And so all that we have out of these verses is the reaction not only of the man who is healed, but of the neighbors and the people in the community saying, we don't understand how this happened. In fact, some people weren't even convinced that a miracle had actually taken place. They thought it was some sort of elaborate hoax where someone who looked like this blind beggar was pretending to be healed. But the man who had been blind said, no, I am the man and I have been healed and I don't understand what has happened to me. So even as Jesus has come and blessed this community, they still don't know who he is. And maybe you're a believer in God right now, and maybe you believe that God loves us and that God does good things. Maybe you believe that God works miracles, and so you're left wondering, if God is here and answers prayer, what is happening now? That's a good question. It's a question that we ought to all wrestle with. 
Because the answer is not always simple. We can't always, on this side of heaven, and, and who knows how much we'll know in eternity, understand why God does what he does. But I want to encourage you to believe that he is good, and he is doing good things even in this. And you can trust him. But the religious leaders of the day did not trust him. And not only is there confusion in the neighborhood, there is great confusion among the religious leaders who do not believe that Jesus is the light of the world. And I want to encourage you to follow along with me. Pick it up in verse 13, and let's read down through verse 23. It says, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. And now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And so the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. And so they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. And the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. And his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether he is a sinner I do not know. One thing I know, I was blind and now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. And if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us and they cast him out. Now pause for just a moment. Think about two things. Number one, Jesus could have very simply said, your faith has saved you and granted this man's sight. That's how he healed blind Bartimaeus, if you read in, in Luke's gospel. But he deliberately chose to heal this man in such a way that he would have to go wash in a pool. And the Pharisees said that actually Jesus sinned by 
playing in the dirt because by their definition that was work and so he violated the Sabbath and then they accused this man who was healed of breaking the Sabbath because he had to go wash in a pool and both the walking and the washing would have violated the Sabbath. Jesus chose to work this miracle in such a way that they would have to re-examine everything that they believed about God. He did that deliberately And you can read about this elsewhere in the Gospels because he wanted to show the people that God's commands were a blessing and not a burden. And so as he healed this man and did a good thing for him, he was challenging the things that people believed about God. They believed that God's rules had to be perfectly followed. And if you followed God's rules, that God would love you and bless you and take care of you. And you would never have children who were born blind. And so the Pharisees' answer to this question, how could God allow this to happen, is perfectly clear. The Pharisees say this man was born as a result of his parents' sin. God is punishing them. And yet he shows something absolutely incredible is happening. He points to the reality that God will listen to someone who faithfully obeys all of the law And there's only one person who has ever been like that, and that is Jesus Christ. When they ask the question, has anyone ever opened the eyes of the blind? Search the scriptures. It had never happened before. And the fact that Jesus could work these types of miracles, and the fact that Jesus was here to bless people and to bring healing, ought to tell us something profound about what God is like, even in the midst of a global crisis. God is in the business of blessing people. And there are some preachers that will come to you and they'll make crazy claims. Like if you just had enough faith, you won't get sick. You'll have all the money you need. And the biblical reality is that in this world that is broken until Christ comes back, many people will suffer. But we have an awesome and incredible hope because of Jesus Christ. In fact, the scripture declares so clearly That when you believe in the Son of Man, when you believe in Jesus, God will forgive your sins. You can be welcomed into his family and have the hope of eternal life. But if you believe that we can somehow make God happy by just being good enough, you'll never understand who Jesus is or what he came to do. The reality is, many people today are confused about God. Many people today are confused about Christ. But Christ has come so that you and I can have hope and life, even when the world seems like it's going off the rails. It's my prayer that you would not be confused about Christ, but instead, you would have great clarity and confess that he is the Savior, the Son of God. And that's exactly what happens to the blind man. So we've read about a lot of confusion. We've read about the, the confused disciples. We've read about the confused community. We've read about the confused religious leaders. Now look at a man who gains great clarity. Read with me from, from John chapter 9, starting at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see 
may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Now, I would encourage you to read those verses very, very carefully. If you just read them quickly, they might seem confusing. But here's what I believe Jesus is teaching. There are two types of people in the world. People that that claim that they understand everything and people that live humbly before God, listening to his word carefully and believing in Jesus Christ. If you don't believe that Jesus is the Savior, I believe no matter what happens in this crisis, ultimately you will be lost. But if you have the humility to come before God and say, I don't understand this. I don't understand what is happening, but I know that Jesus is the Savior and that I am a sinner and ask God for his forgiveness and like this man say, Lord, I believe and worship Jesus Christ. You will have hope and a future that no one can take from you no matter what happens. Jesus says, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see, like the blind man, may see. And if you come to Christ like a blind man and say, God, I don't understand. God, I know that I'm guilty, but I believe that you are a healer and a great forgiver of sins. God will always hear that and he will bless you. He will forgive you. He will heal you. Maybe not physically now. But you have the hope of resurrection that can never be taken from you. But if you look at Jesus Christ and say, man, he was a fake. He was a fraud. If you look at Jesus Christ and say, man, I don't agree with some of the things that he said. And you act as if you stand in judgment of him. You are like the Pharisees who claim to be able to see and understand. But Jesus says, you are blind. And as a result, your guilt remains. It's my prayer that you would recognize who Jesus is. And as we close, I want to take you back to what Jesus said the purpose of this man's suffering was. Because I believe in those verses, we have a key that can offer us a lot of hope right now. I can't explain what's happening, but I believe that this is true no matter what. Jesus says that this man was born blind, that the works of God might be displayed in him. And ultimately, so that Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, would be glorified. So the question is, how can Jesus be glorified now in this today? I believe there are just a couple things that we ought to think about. Number one, he is glorified when we humbly trust him. When we believe that he is the Messiah who paid for our sins and rose from the dead. I believe Jesus is glorified when we repent, when we acknowledge our guilt and we say we are sorry, and yet we trust in his forgiveness and his restoration. Not only that, I believe Jesus is glorified when we as forgiven people work out our salvation by loving the people around us. I believe that he is glorified when we tell people about what God has done for us. You can see this man who's born blind. He, he doesn't even fully understand what Jesus does. And yet he loudly proclaims that this person that he didn't know yet healed him. And he will not change his story even when it's costly. 
You might be in a place where you believe in God and you believe in Jesus, but in this state you're confused and you don't understand. And the temptation is that you will begin to say things like, man, God's not really in control of this and I I don't believe that, that God could ever use something like this. And that damages the reputation of God. I believe God is glorified when instead of saying, I don't know, we say things like, I believe that God is love. And God has a purpose and a plan in this that is good, even if I can't personally see it. So number two, I believe that God is glorified as we tell people about what God has done for us. And finally, I believe that God is glorified when we hope in that final restoration. Scripture says that all creation groans longing to be remade, longing to be restored to the goodness that God had when he first made it. And as we humbly wait for that day, God is glorified because what we're doing is we are trusting that Jesus will keep all of his promises. So think about this for just a moment. Sometimes as a dad, I make different promises to my kids. Recently, you know, I've said things like, we're going we're to watch a movie tonight. And, and that's a big deal because we don't watch a lot of movies as a family. So all my kids get real excited. And they're like, Dad, Dad, what are we going to watch? What are we going to watch? And, and they were wanting to watch a couple different things that they knew about, but they didn't know that there was a Frozen 2. So I said, I don't, I don't know. Maybe we're going to watch Maybe we're gonna watch Star Wars. Maybe we're gonna watch it. And they were like, yeah, I don't know. And, and if you're Rosie, you don't want to watch Star Wars. If you're Isaac, you really do. And so there's no winning right now. And then I tell them, all right, guys, it's, it's movie time. We're going to sit down and we're going to watch a movie. And there's so much joy because they know that dad keeps his promises, at least most of them. If my kids believe that I don't intend to do the things that I say, they make me look like a bad dad. And and maybe sometimes I am, and I have to apologize and and ask for the forgiveness. But if my kids consistently, even when I keep my promises, begin to question me and and begin to say things to their little friends, about, yeah, you can't ever trust me. He says that he never delivers anything like that. That reflects badly on me, and my kids are not giving me credit for being a good dad. And sometimes we do that with God. Even as God keeps his promises, even as God blesses us, even as God gives us a hope for the future, if we in our attitudes describe him as being unfaithful, unkind, unloving, if we show that we don't believe that he has the power to do any good, God is not glorified. But if, if we wait for the restoration of all things, we show that no matter how long it takes, no matter how hard life is now, we show that we have a good heavenly father who loves us, who will take care of us. And it's my prayer that you will know him and love him and glorify him as you wait for his promises. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I ask that you would help us to trust you. Lord, I pray that we would have the confidence that our sins are forgiven and that come what may, you will take care of us and that you will restore all things. Lord, I do want to faithfully pray that you would have mercy and stop the spread of this virus, that you would provide for those who are out of work and don't know how to pay their bills or even buy food. Lord, I ask that you would give wisdom to our leaders, that our politicians would make wise and fair decisions, 
pray that you would bless our medical leaders who are looking for, for treatments, who are, are hoping to stop the spread of, of this virus. And I pray that you would grant us, most importantly, Lord, hearts that are humble, that seek you, that seek to trust you, that seek to know you. And I pray that even through terrible things, you would be glorified as we trust in you. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.